Do you have a brand that you're not completely in love with? Maybe you feel pressure to stick with what you have because you feel like it's what you should be doing. Maybe deep down you know what you have isn't working, but you're not sure where to go from here. Annie P. Ruggles is here today to talk about her most recent rebrand and how you can rethink your business branding to create more space to grow. Welcome to Big Fun Content, the show that helps you stand out from everyone else in your industry by building a brand you love and creating content that's impossible to ignore. I'm your host, Deanna Seymour, a graphic designer who creates high-energy visuals and short-form videos for some of the sassiest, boldest, most rebellious online businesses out there. Are you ready to up the fun in your content? Let's get started. Hi, Annie. How's it going? Oh, it's fabulous because I get to see you. Yes. I know I've been looking forward to this all morning. Okay. I can't wait to dive in. Let me talk about this. I had this whole like professional spiel. Ready? Are you ready for it? (laughs) I think you're not supposed to say it's a professional spiel before you do it, but. Well, hold on. Like, let me, I'll tell you how professional it is. Let's hear this spiel. Okay. Well, uh, now it's not that professional. Okay. (laughs) All I'm trying to say is that I was like, I did my research. I already told you that I went back and rewatched. Your video, which is what I want to talk about today. Honestly, like the whole thing. So we're talking about you rebranding, but you made a video called Oops, I Rebranded Again. Correct. Obviously, I'm in love with it. And also sort of like subtitle, a postmortem on the best brand ever I've ever launched. On the best brand I've ever launched. Is that true? Okay. Correct. That's that's my big like research, deep dive research into it. But I watched it when it first came out and I got the email and I was like, Oh my gosh, I love Annie. And so when I was doing this podcast, reinventing it, I was like, I want Annie to come on and talk about this idea of rebranding. So here you are. Heck yeah. Here I am. Okay. And yeah, I'm not going to not name something a Britney Spears reference if given low-hanging Britney Spears fruit. Like, I'm, I'm... Yeah. Who could not take it? Okay. So let's talk a little bit about this, what you call, which I like also, I'm still in your words, what you call an evolution. Yeah. Right. Like thinking of rebranding as evolving, which I love because also sometimes tell me if you agree with this. I feel like the niching down, the like being professional, you have to have your shit together. And it's like, oh, my gosh, but I'm growing and I'm changing and I want to do this. But then sometimes people can avoid it because they feel like, no, I just got to like stay the course. Do you feel like that's true? A hundred percent, because rebranding can feel like a death. Mm-hmm. Right. Or like a failure. Like, right. Like, or like a screwed, failure. Like you did yes. it wrong. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I have to rebrand because what I'm doing doesn't hit. And it's like sometimes that's not true. Sometimes you just want to expand your menu, your dominoes, and you want to start offering loaded tots. That doesn't mean the pizza was failing. It just means <laughs> they wanted to add something new to the menu. Right. So it's an evolution. But for me, it really was in that. All of these things that I thought had fallen away or died or not hit as well in previous iterations of my business are coming back up in unexpected but exciting ways, which feels like a homecoming a lot more than it feels like a failure. It's like, oh, I wrote the perfect tagline for this seven years ago. (laughs) Welcome back, tagline. I picked the most amazing brand colors and never did anything with them three years ago. Welcome back, brand colors, right? It doesn't feel like a failure. It doesn't feel like I'm backsliding. It feels like things that have been lying in wait are capitalizing on the perfect time and that I'm finding new ways to merge the parts that matter. 
Yes. I love that. I've definitely done that before where I'm like in a Google Doc, I'm planning out a community or a membership, and then I'm like right to a point, and then I'll find an old Google Doc, and I'm like, oh, yeah, this. This is exactly what, like, I already wrote this. Like you said, like five years ago, right. I wrote this. Amazing. Right. Yes. We all reinvent the same wheels over and over and over. If we went into our Google Drive or our external hard drive, I think we'd be amazed that how many problems we've already solved that maybe just weren't contextualized right or the timing wasn't right or we weren't right, right? Mm -hmm. Like with, with QuirkWorks specifically, which is all about helping people own and amplify their weird, I had to earn that. If mm -hmm. I had just come out the gate being like, you're a weirdo, be a weirdo, nobody would understand what I'm talking about, nor would I have any gravitas to back it up. Yes. Right. It took years of doing weird stuff online. It took years of writing a weird noir novella instead of a traditional sales book and having a ridiculous podcast. Right. Because now I have stuff that I can say, look, if you add an element of weird, it hits if that weird is authentic to you. If I had just come out the gate doing that, it would have been forced mm -hmm. weird in a bad way. And it would have been an infinitely harder battle for me to convince people who, to your point, have that conditioning of like, must be professional, must have my shit together. Like, I, it would be so much harder to break them of that thinking if mm -hmm. I didn't have a decade plus of experience of doing things my way. Right? Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, now you're a professional weirdo. <laughs> like, you have the mm -hmm. clout to back up your quirkiness. You're like, see, and it's working for me. And here's why it's working for me. Here's how it's working for me. Okay. So let's talk about that. So you switched, like, you want to talk a little bit about what the brand was? Sure. I mean, right, right before I know you've had lots of versions, but what was going on and then what you switched to. So the non-sleazy sales Academy was born in 2019 and it's the brand that you refer to in the subtitle of like a postmortem on the best brand I ever launched from the moment I launched that brand people were like foaming at the mouth, being like, the non-sleazy sales academy, who doesn't need that? I could send you 75 people tomorrow, oh. right? And it was amazing. Like the stickiness was fantastic and I loved it. I love when people read my bio and they have to stop to laugh. Like Annie is the founder of the, get this y'all, non-sleazy sales academy is how it would happen all the time. And I was like, yes, this is hitting. And I never expected to teach sales, but it I got really, really good at it. And I enjoyed it. And I found my own lane in it. But I went to this incredible conference in Sonoma where I wound up getting COVID, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but, you know, all of these people were asking me how I could help grow their businesses. And all of them in the room were really, really established, profitable businesses. So not that I couldn't brush up their sales. I'm sure that I could, but that wasn't a critical need for them anymore. So I left this event feeling like I had been pitching the wrong stuff the whole time. Mm, yeah. Because I did a great speech. They loved it. They wanted to know more. They wanted to hire me. They go to my website. It's the non-sleazy sales academy. They don't need sales training. They make 500000 to a million dollars a year as a sole prop. Like, they don't need me to be like, when handling objections, lean mm -hmm. in. They're like, we've figured that out, Annie. Right? <laughs> and so I came home and I had COVID for a month. And it gave me this kind of necessary 
chrysalis, this like spaciousness to be like, why is this eating at me so much? And it's because the non-sleazy sales academy says to the world, I teach sales and that's it. But in every previous iteration of my business, I was doing marketing, funneling, brand awareness campaigns. I was doing what I call leverage, which is person-to-person relationship marketing, right? All of these things. And those are still skill sets that my clients see every day once they get inside the paywall. But Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, heck, I'm mislabeling myself. (laughs) Whoops. And so I decided not to close the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy. I'm still really passionate about people giving and receiving ethically in a way that feels fabulous for them. I'm always going to love that. But I decided instead of a complete rebrand, what if I gave myself a parent company? What if I backed up from the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy and said, what could be bigger than this? What could own this? And that's how Quirkworks was born is I was like, Non-Sleazy Sales Academy is a subsidiary of Quirkworks. It is the sales arm of Quirkworks, but it gives me that spaciousness to continue to grow because even though it was the best brand in the world, it started to chafe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is also making me think, I talk a lot about niching down and how you don't necessarily have to niche down, but now I'm thinking the way you're talking about it, I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay. So non-sleazy sales Academy was super niche down. Like you were like, this mm-hmm. is about sales. This is about this. But then zooming out to be like, can this stay super niche, but be within this Annie P. Mm -hmm. Ruggles universe Mm -hmm. is amazing. Because obviously, like as a creative, and I feel like people are always like, oh, as a creative, I can't niche down. But it's not even necessarily about being a creative. Because if you think about it, like Facebook is taking over everything. Facebook isn't just like niche down to be like, we're only Facebook. They're like (laughs) doing everything. You know what I mean? So I feel like I've always, always had beef with niche. And now the way you're putting it, I'm like, oh. Well, that's why, because it does feel like you can't grow. Like you were in your non-sleazy sales academy box and like you needed to bust out, but keep it there. Like don't break the box. Just gently get out of the box and keep it. (laughs) Well, my whole life, I'm obsessed with problem solving, right? So what problems do I want to be solving? What's in my zone of genius? What's in their zone of need, right? Where do those two things collide? And what of those things do I want to be doing? Because there's a billion problems I could solve for people that I'm Mm -hmm. like, No, you and I were talking in the pre-chat. You said like, you could probably do people's graphics. And I'm like, could, can't do them as well as you could, nor do I want to try, right? So there's some of that too. People need better graphics. That's not a problem for me to solve. That's a problem for you to solve, right? So it's also knowing who else is in your lane. But when I started looking at the problems I love to solve with and for my clients, only a handful of them were still in the sales bucket. But those ones in the sales bucket were important to me and non-negotiable. So the non-sleazy sales academy had to live on. But I had to have another way to excuse, allow, and empower the other problems I want to solve. Like six-figure boredom. Like founder burnout. Like everybody out there being a carbon copy of everybody else. Like the fact that we're only in crowded markets and they're getting more crowded. That is how I can solve and serve, but not by telling people to throw their sales script out the window. Yes. Okay. There's something else I want to talk with you about, which is your book, which is amazingly creative. And I want to talk about some of the things you talked about in your video that you put on YouTube about it. (laughs) Yes. 
<laughs> okay, so let's take a quick break and I'm going to hear all about that book when we come back. Are you thinking it might be time for a rebrand in your business? We should totally chat. I help you ditch the shoulds and create a personal brand that is totally and completely you. Here's the thing. When you have a brand that you freaking adore, it's so much easier to show up in the world and talk about your business and the value that you bring to the table. If you'd like to chat more about how we can work together to create the personal brand of your dreams, head over to DeannaSeymour.com and book a chat with me. I'd love to help you out. Now let's get back to the show. Okay, so let's talk about this book. I thought it was so interesting in your video that you talked about how you launched the book and it didn't necessarily get the results that you were thinking it would. First of all, I thought it was like vulnerable of you to admit that mm-hmm. and also interesting what actually happened. So tell people more about your amazingly creative book idea, which I freaking love, and then what you thought was going to happen and what happened and how that changed things for you. So my book is called The Coach Who Would Not Sell. It is what fell out of my head when I tried to write a sales book. And I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't. And I've read a lot of incredible sales books. I'm not dogging sales books. I'm just dogging sales books written by me because I was like, well, how do I do this? I'll be like, oh, what if I start with people's like crippling fear of selling candy or cookies as a kid? Like, yeah. And then from there, I'm like, oh, the tone of this is very like Hitchcockian horror. Let's just lean in. Right. And uh, The book was really surprising because what went really gorgeously is that concept I mentioned before, that concept of leverage, which is if you've invested in relationships, personal and professional, there are people in your personal life who are always saying stuff to you like, Didi, I love you. What do you need? And you're like, you're my uncle and you're a dentist. I have no idea what you could do for me, but thank you so much. I love you too, right? So there's those people waiting in the wings who are just waiting to be called upon but you can't see that direct line. And then there's all of the people you meet in your work life who I hope are really blurring the line between work friends and life friends to the point where you can't see anymore. I call that work mm-hmm. fam. Yes. You are in my work fam, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I went to my work fam, it felt good and empowering to be like, I wrote this crazy thing. Y'all are going to be so proud of me. I did it. You've known me for like a year and a half. I didn't have the book before and I would bitch about not having the book constantly. And so I came to you and I'm like, day, I wrote a really (laughs) weird book. Let's get it out into the world. And what I did is I sent a code so that everything would say like D sent me. And if I get the code D sent me, I know who to thank. Right. And it made it really easy and really shareable. So all of that organic relationship based stuff went exactly how I wanted it to go. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. (laughs) But that also sort of spread it around water coolers where I had been before, networks I'd been invited into before, places I'd spoken before, blah, 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 blah. What didn't go how I expected was this giant broad reach. I had this kind of traumatic Amazon experience where they kept shutting my launch down for no reason because they accused me of plagiarizing my own book. I got an email that was like, dear Annie P. Ruggles, your book has been removed for being a complete plagiarism of The Coach Who Would Not Sell by Andy P. Ruggles. And I'm like, look up, Holmes. Like, <laughs> ah! So some of that big launch did get botched. So maybe some of that factored in. Maybe I just didn't put enough emphasis on it. I'm not a big Amazon person. And the other stuff we talked about was doing so well. But what happened was I put a book out called The Coach Who Would Not Sell to help coaches learn to love to sell. Okay, that was the whole goal. It's in the freaking title of the book. And so I thought it was going to sell the ever-loving daylights out of my sales seminar. 
It's a book on how to love selling. So the stair step out of that is now that I've gotten you around sales avoidance, let's talk about how you're actually going to sell well. Come to my two-day seminar. Seems super clear cut. But Mm -hmm. nothing is ever clear cut, especially when you're doing it your own weirdo way, right? So what happened was the book made me a tremendous amount of money. Not one person signed up for my sales seminar, but it flung open doors I never expected and basically birthed corkworks because people came to me and they're like, oh my God, my first book is so boring. It hurt me to put out into the world. Annie, what do I do? Oh man, my podcast is falling flat. Oh, I want to launch something, but I have all of these shoulds on me. What do I do? So the book birthed or paved the way at the very least for quirkworks, but I never expected that. I thought I would have a full sales seminar. What I had is a full consulting calendar, and now I'm the godmother of all this weird, wonderful shit. But I have still yet to sell a ticket into the sales seminar from the book. Bizarre. Yes. So bizarre, but also a testament to you showing up in ways that feel good to you and are, like, totally your personality. Like, I talk about this, too, because it's, like, not everyone is as quirky as Annie P. Ruggles or Deanna Seymour. So like you have to just show up in your own brand of whatever you think sounds fun or sounds, it doesn't have to be weird. It could just be fun or it could just be something you're passionate about. But I think exactly the fact that you wrote that book and you weren't like, oh, this is the book I want to write, but that's not the book I'm allowed to write. So I better just stay over here and like write a sales book just like everybody else would is what also opened those doors. Because I think it's a little scary to go in that direction, but I think- that's the reason all those people came to you and were like, oh my gosh, I want to do something fun. I want to do something cool. Yep. Show me your ways, Annie P. Ruggles. Like, I just exactly. love that. Mm-hmm. Like, and now we're writing weird books. We're launching weird podcasts. We're doing weird collaborations. I'm launching weirder shows than I've ever launched before or dreamed of because you use this word allowed to, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, I got to not write the book. I'm just allowed to write. Allowed to. The second you give up your 401k and your resume builders, the second you take the Jerry Maguire route and you leave with the goldfish, like all allowances go out the window. There are only marketing shoulds. And you and I see those shoulds every day. And what I love about both you and me is we look at those shoulds and we go, okay, but why? There's a difference between best practices and industry mandates. Best practices have truth in them that can be modified to suit your needs. Industry mandates are largely bullshit Mm -hmm. predicated on nothing that yet we all just obey. And it's like, why? Why? If you want to write a novella, write a novella. I tried to write a 400,000 word or whatever book. My book is 7,000 words, y'all. It is tiny. It is meant to be digested in 90 minutes. And everyone's like, well, shouldn't it be more substantive? Why? (laughs) Why? Says who? Yes. Last I checked, it's Corkworks Consulting and the Non-Sleazy Sales Academy with Annie P. Ruggles. So the only shoulds here are Annie shooting on Annie. Yeah. Right? Like your website, which is so exceptional and gorgeous and vibrant, follows all the best practices. You got the sections you need, but it doesn't follow any of the industry mandates. When people go to your website, they know it's your website. Number one, there's this big, glorious picture of you. Number two, everything is in balloons and 
buttons and everything's moving. It dances and it sings and it's got all of this color, right? And so you did the same thing. You're like, this is my website. This is my real estate. I will make mm -hmm. sure that they get the information they need from me. I will cover my bases. However, what I do with the puzzle pieces I have is up to me. Your website is a testament to that. My book is a testament to that. Well, and people say often to me with their stuff or seeing my stuff, I don't know if you hear this from people, I wish I could do that. Or I wish my website could look like that. And I'm always like, why can't it? Like, again, it's just the rules that they think they have to follow. And it's like... Why not? Well, um, and hire the right person. Your yeah. website could <laughs> yeah. look like that if you hire Day. Like, <laughs> yeah. I will pull a weird book out of you if we need to. Like, we'll yeah. get there, right? But I think there's something so much on that self-limiting idea of like, well, I can't do. And, and here's the thing, y'all. Neither of us is trying to imply that if you do things weird, it's going to get mass adoption quickly. It's not. It's going to be the most polarizing thing you do. Everybody talks about polarizing content, right? Like you got to turn people off. You got to turn people off. For me, I always thought that meant like be aggressive or be edgy or whatever. Believe me, you doing your own quirky, whatever, whatever quirk means to you, right? Like I love that you brought that up point up to like, it's not just about being weird or zany. It's about showing a different side of you, bringing in that cross section of you. But once you do, you're revealing a nerd underbelly that's easy to attack that's not for everyone right like you yeah. and i on my podcast talked about Wee herman <laughs> paul rubens is about as polarizing as you can get and you and i were like some people are not going to listen to this and some people are going to send me a note being like didn't he get caught doing inappropriate things and i'll be like that's not relevant <laughs> We're talking about the joy of Pee Wee's Playhouse go away, right? Like yes. when you do it, not that you're going to surround yourself with hate, but people won't get it. And that's okay. You become an art house film. Yes. And I feel like people will just unsubscribe. And then your, yeah! open, your open rates will be amazing because all the people on your list freaking love you. And the people who don't already left. And I have 60% open rates at this point. Mm -hmm. Because all the boring sad sacks who don't want to play bingo or have a playlist or watch me flail on shows like this are like, oh, she's too much. Okay, then bye. Perfect. Yeah, exactly. Okay, I want to finish with this idea also that you mentioned in your video. The video is gold and I will link it in the show notes. Um, you, so she, you really dive into all this stuff. But you also mentioned finding the joy and following the joy, which I love saying when people talk about consistency. Well, if you want to make consistent content, you have to love what you're doing because otherwise uh -huh. it's going to be very, very difficult to maintain whatever you want. I mean, and obviously how much content you put out can vary. But if you freaking love making it and you want to keep making it, then you might make more than you would if you didn't love it. So when you talked about following the joy, I was like, yes, people. And I think that also goes hand in hand with what you're saying to allowing yourself to just let go and be yourself and do it the way you want to would make it more joyful. But Hell I yeah. just talked a lot about it, but no, <laughs> like, wait, I mean, that's did I just talk too much? True. No, no, no. It's boredom is a bigger deal than I ever thought. Not mm -hmm. just in your audience, because that's how you fade into a crowded market. But in 2019, 2020, somewhere back in there, I did like a hundred podcasts in a year. I hired an agency to get me on podcasts and everything else. And there were some things by the end of that year that I was like, please don't ask me this question. I'm really tired of this soundbite. And then there were other things where people would ask me questions that I had never 
even considered. And I'm like, hold on. The shows that light me up are the shows that ask me unusual questions because I'm tired of saying my best content over and over and over and over. Like Lady Gaga is real tired of singing shallow at this point. (laughs) Can I go back to singing like party monster-esque anthems? Like enough, right? Mm -hmm. So we get tired of our hits. We get inured to the brilliance of our hits. And so when we put them out, it's subconscious. But we go on a show and we're like, oh. Time to sink shallow again. Okay, here we go. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to do it. But your heart's not all the way in it because you're bored, right? But the things that I got to say over and over and over and over and over that I loved were the things that I was most proud of and the things I got to play in the most. Again, for whatever play meant for me. And so you have to seek that out because I call it six-figure boredom. By the time you break that ceiling, you've said the same thing a thousand times. You've delivered the same thing a thousand times. You've found your consistency. You've been in your stride. You've solved your experiments. You've found your people, right? All of those things have to be in play before you can break that six-figure ceiling. But then once we get there, it's like, oh, great. We're here now. What? Change it up. Do what I did. Take the acclaim or the notoriety or the work fam that you have earned and delight yourself first to see what ripple effect it creates. You can't do that at the very beginning of your business. If you're not profitable, I don't want you taking the biggest leaps you possibly can. That's too scary and the risk is too high. Find your greatest hits and polish them. That's how you get to that hundred, right? But beyond that, new level, new devil. Time to delight yourself. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love that. What a great little soundbite to end on. Love it. Love how we did that. You are amazing. Thank you so much for being here today. Looking to connect more with Annie, the amazing human you just listened to on this episode? Check out that novella we talked about over at sellcoachcell.com and use the code Me. D-E-E-S-E-N-T-M-E. And definitely go find her on LinkedIn, Annie P. Ruggles. I mean... What a great name, right? Oh yeah, before you go, something fun is happening right now. The F That Storytelling series is happening. It's an all audio free series that's sort of like an online summit, but not really. It's a collection of stories from entrepreneurs about a time in their online business when they said F that and did things differently. There's no slideshows, no workbooks, no overwhelm. Just eight awesome online business owners sharing about how and when they decided to break the rules in their business. Who knows what it can inspire in you? Go to fthatseries.com to sign up to listen. Thanks for listening to Big Fun Content. If you like what you heard today, think about pushing that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. Also, I would love it if you would leave me a review so more people could find me. Wink, wink. And last but not least, if you want to remain in my world and get some really fun emails in your inbox, head over to deannaseymour.com slash newsletter to join my email list. See you next time.